Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. You, O Lord, are deeper inside us than our greatest depths and higher than our greatest heights. Our soul's house is too meager for you to visit. Yet as you enter, we pray that you may reside there in fullness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So this is the first year in several that either Christmas or Christmas Eve hasn't been on a weekend, although we're just barely away from that. And that makes things a little bit better for preaching, but somehow this year I've written two sermons, or I've written this one today and about most of the one for tomorrow And I sort of think tomorrow's might be better today, and today's might be better tomorrow, but I don't really know. It would mess things up if I tried to be spontaneous and changed. So we'll go with what I have for today, acknowledging it that it's a little more Christmas than it is Advent. But on this Sunday before Christmas, this fourth Sunday of Advent, I want to do something that I rarely do in a sermon. I want to bear witness as clearly and beautifully as I can as to why I believe in all that we are doing in this service today. The words we say, the music we hear and sing, the prayers we lift, spoken or silent. In other words, I want to say as best as I am able why I am a Christian and how I got to be one. I hope to do so in a way that's not so much about me, but becomes about you who have gathered, and about the birth, life, and destiny of the one who was born in Bethlehem, whose name draws us here. A major reason I believe in Jesus Christ is expressed in the final words that we just sang O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. When I was in college, I heard a sermon entitled Hopes and Fears. I knew at the time that the phrase explained what was behind my developing faith. That faith, which has been under construction most of my life, 
is rooted in my sense that the hopes and fears of all people in all time, in all places, the hopes and fears of all the years are indeed met in the birth that occurred in the little town of Bethlehem and the child placed in one of its rustic mangers. In my childhood and teenage years, pillars of school, sports, and church anchored my life, along with a family who gave me both freedom and encouragement to pursue them. Yet there was also in those formative years sadness enough, tragedy enough, suffering and loss enough to create in me a hesitance, even a fear, of what life might bring. I remember fearing the bears I dreamed about as a preschooler whenever we would visit my grandparents' home in Arkansas. In elementary school, I remember fearing the harsh words and sometimes physical blows with which I saw parents exercise discipline on their children, my playmates, so much so that I felt my stomach tighten and, like King Hezekiah, turned my face to the wall. In middle and high school years, I feared the words I heard some people use and their tone of voice in referring to the four other players with whom I shared the starting lineup of a basketball team that won the county championship, players none of whom bore the same color of skin that I bore and hence were subject to the disparaging names. In addition, I feared for some teammates whom we gave a ride home one night after a late game, leading us to see the small, dilapidated structure at the end of a country road without street lights, which they called home. But mixed with these fears from my childhood and adolescent were experiences of hope as well the hope offered by the big blue sky overhead, the cumulus white clouds, the bright green clover in the backyard in which I would lie looking skyward, the hope of victory on the basketball court, the sense of accomplishing something with others, the dance of joy that followed at the center of the court after a championship with a crowd cheering in the background, even if the crowd consisted mainly of parents and girlfriends. The hope that came when I stood at a blackboard in front of algebra class, wrote out with white chalk all the steps and the correct answer to a problem the teacher had assigned spontaneously, saw her place a mark in her grade book, heard her say in near whisper, well done without the good and faithful servant part. (laughs) As the years moved from high school to college to seminary to ordination and marriage and family, there came success coupled with failure, love coupled with loss, confusion coupled with clarity, sin coupled with forgiveness, joy coupled with sadness. Yet in the midst of the tragic and beautiful, 
I somehow decided along the way that there was something more than what we know here on earth. Something majestic, something beautiful, something peaceful, exceeding even the best of what we know in this life. I realized this sense of something more had begun had a fe- as a feeling in the heart to which, without much hesitation or argumentation, I gave my mind. Maybe it was the blue skies and the white clouds and the green clover. But I knew I could never sing as Peggy Lee did in 1969. Is that all there is? Is that all there is, my friends? I knew there was something more. When later I became a student of the Bible, I was always drawn to the passage that's before us today. The scene preceding the better-known Magnificat, the scene in which Mary visits her kinswoman Elizabeth, and the infant in Elizabeth's womb, who will be John the Baptist, leaps at the infant in Mary's womb, who will be Jesus. In response to the leap, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who believes, believes there could be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. A fulfillment, a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord. It was this hope and promise of fulfillment which my heart felt and to which my mind so readily consented that joined together to constitute my faith in the one who was the object of the leap. Once I allowed my mind to follow my heart, my mind began to do what our minds usually do at their best, provide us with logic and reason. If God exists, I reasoned, it would make sense that God would be active in the world. If God were active in the world, I reasoned, it would make sense that God would visit the world, even live in it for a while, live in it as a positive force for good, or as the gospel writer John says, full of grace and truth. Everything I had known and continued to learn about Jesus of Nazareth led me to see him as this positive force for good, as this fulfillment, this Emmanuel, this God with us. Such belief became a part of who I am. But beyond this feeling of the heart and ascent of the mind, What makes belief so all-encompassing for me is who the child in Mary's womb grew up to be. What I came to know about Christ from both the New Testament and from the ways others received him is that Christ embodies in his own flesh and blood hopes and fears of all the years. I came to realize that everything I fear, Christ has feared. Everything I experience, Christ has experienced. There is nothing I can go through that Christ has not been through. There is nothing fulfilled in me that has not been fulfilled in Him. 
as I came to realize that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Christ. I found texts in the Old and New Testaments that bear similar witness, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, to this fulfillment. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the underworld, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there you shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me shall become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. Likewise, the epistle to the Hebrews Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect, in every respect, has been tempted, tested, tempted as we are, yet without sin. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, a fulfillment of what has been spoken by the Lord. I normally lead inquires and new member classes on Sunday mornings at 9.45, so I'm unavailable to attend the adult education presentations that we have at Westminster, though I often listen later on podcast. For the past three weeks, I've listened to the presentations given by Jim Meiskins, an incoming elder in our church, slightly senior to me in years, but significantly senior to me in knowledge. The question that Jim has sought to address, how is it possible to maintain Christian belief in the 21st century? In a mere three weeks, Jim has sought to address miracles, the problem of evil, the changes in the view of the physical world and universe brought about by evolutionary biology and other branches of science, and challenges to Christian faith posed by what are called the new atheists. At the end of the third week concluding this series, Jim concluded his presentation by saying, and I paraphrase, the primary events in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, reveal the highest power in the universe, agape love, self-giving, suffering love with us and for us. The essence of the Christian message, Jim, Jim says, 
is that we are all unworthy, hence the continued violence and bloodshed we grieve in our world. But by God's grace, we have been made worthy and accepted unconditionally through this self-giving, agape love that suffers with us and for us this highest power in the universe. Hence, he concluded, we venture forth with gratitude. My friends, this self-giving agape love is the fulfillment, I believe, of what Elizabeth spoke about to Mary. It is the highest power in the universe. It is what lies behind the blue sky, the white clouds, the green clover. But in Christian belief and affirmation, this is a force. This highest power of the universe is a force that that has been embodied in the person of Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, God with us. Well, it would be comforting to believe, as many people do, that there is a generalized power of good in the world. How much more reassuring and blessed is it to believe, at least for me, that this power for good resides in a particular human being, a particular historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ who was Emmanuel, who is Emmanuel, God with us. The hopes and fears of all the years, every human fear we harbor, every human hope we have are met in him. Tonight, this is the fulfillment spoken by the Lord to us. Amen.